0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I'm your host, Evan. And I'm your host, Zach. And uh, no Cody this week, but he assures us that he will be back soon. Um, and this time, do we believe him?
1: I think so. I mean, he's he said that he's busy through the end of this month, and then he might have some time afterwards. So
0: hopefully right before the Oscars, we have our beloved third Cody host. That's right. That would be lovely if we could have him back for I'm trying to think what movie comes out around then we were just joking off air about the movie champions so maybe <laughs> okay. maybe that's the one
1: that's gonna be in his top 10 you know it yeah <laughs> i mean it's a basketball it is movie about, yeah it,
0: yeah woody harrelson's in it I, I think there's a strong chance it's uh it's competing the indicators are there that's right well we're not talking about champions today unfortunately Forever, or ever at least that we know of yet um right now we're going to be talking about ant-man and the wasp quantum mania uh another divisive review i think uh incoming here
1: yeah a week a week after release you know we're really on the crest yeah, of, we're, we're, we're on the, we, we've got our finger on the pulse here at, at spinning the reel. <laughs> we're really
0: catching the discourse right yeah. as it peaks that that was the idea <laughs> um, uh, after that, you took a trip out to see the Oscar-nominated short films. I did. Um, um, the animated category and
1: uh, live action.
0: Cool. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. And then how are we going to close things out? Uh, all Quiet, I think. Okay. Let's do it. All Quiet on the live Slash Western
1: the front. whale. We'll see how we feel. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what, what's going on there.
0: Uh, anything else off the top?
1: No. Uh, glad to be back.
0: Yeah. That's, that's good. All right, Zach, we are going to start off with uh, another. I mean, if you listen to anybody, (laughs) the critics, the culture, uh, another dud upcoming here are coming out from marvel ant-man and the wasp quantum mania uh this is of course the third installment in the ant-man franchise uh of ever-growing titles from ant-man to ant-man and the wasp to ant-man and the wasp quantum mania um i think they should just keep adding words whatever ant-man for it should be ant-man and the wasp quantum mania you know attack of something
1: i can't remember what cassie lang's like superhero name is supposed to be like sting or stature. something
0: stature stature yeah it's stature stature
1: oh okay uh yeah so it'll be the ant-man and the wasp and stature whatever you know subtitle (laughs) (laughs) like
0: that's gonna be it so do you want to try and describe ant-man and the wasp quantumania sure let's just call it quantumania from now on
1: yeah quantumania is fine uh yeah i'll take this one um i mean so this is of course in in an ant-man film uh this is post endgame Um, So the whole gang is there. You have Hank Pym and his wife, played by Shell Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. I can't remember her. Janet. Janet Janet Van Dyne, Dyne. that's right. Uh, Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp, um, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, and then, of course, Scott's daughter, Cassie Lang. uh, Doing the, the, like, happy family thing, living their normal life. Thanos has been defeated. Um, Everything is excellent uh for scott he is doing the media tour he's got a book out um and then he gets sucked into the quantum realm again because of a a device that cassie has invented to transmit a signal down there similar to she described it as like the hubble telescope for quantum you know and um uh unbeknownst to the rest of the family but janet has been harboring the secret of a, a massive threat in the quantum realm uh who immediately responds to the signal that gets that is being sent down uh they are pulled into the quantum realm and um are being i guess tormented or or hunted by by kang the conqueror a variant of he who remains from the loki series if you Mm -hmm. happen to catch that uh who is trying his hardest to escape the quantum realm and dominate the multiverse? Continue conquering worlds. As yes, he does. Uh, the 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 MCU's next Thanos, um, uh, leading into like Avengers five and six and Secret Wars and all these big projects that have been announced. Uh, Kang, of course, played by Jonathan Majors, um, and so then this is the adventure of them going up against Kang for the first time and Kang's introduction into the MCU. Uh, We see some familiar faces and some new ones. Uh, I think that's a a basic plot. I mean, it's really, really like a bird's eye view and so already convoluted just given how massive this enterprise is.
0: Right. Yeah, I think this movie is tasked with setting a lot of things up. So it's it's weird. Um, Like you mentioned, Kang is a variant of this other version of him, the um, He Who Remains from the Loki show. Uh, and that show does a lot to sort of set up this idea of the multiverse and, and all of these different timelines coexisting. But this movie is doing a lot of overlapping exposition. And part of that is maybe Marvel wants all of these movies and and shows first and foremost to like be sequels to each other, but also to be plug and play. So if you did miss something, you can still jump in and know who these characters are and figure that out. So,
1: yeah, it's like just enough to not be completely lost.
0: Right. So there's enough stage setting here that if you didn't watch Loki for whatever reason, uh, and you're watching, you know, the 30th Marvel movie that they've made, uh, you know, good for you for sticking with it, but uh, they do enough to sort of explain where they're going in case you missed one thing or another. Uh, and a lot of the movie is that but I don't know I people didn't like this movie I thought it was fine. I like didn't take it too seriously like I don't think this movie takes itself all that seriously and it's uh, I had a good time with it
1: yeah I, I, I'm sort of in the camp that is disappointed I, I am certainly not like vitriolic towards it um, I don't despise it or hate it in any way uh, I did have fun watching it for the most part there's just some choices here that I, I was disappointed in, um, and I thought could have been uh, better set up or a bit lacking in development for our characters. Um, I but I, so I guess what I, what I think too is um, I think this will be one that's looked back on, kind of like the Dark World is now. It's not as reviled as the Dark World. I
0: mean that movie is. Not good,
1: but it, you know they did a lot of uh, retconning and like um, patching and, and and kind of like an, an, uh, a patch update for for that movie in Endgame. And I think as we as we see more of of Kang and his variants moving forward, people will look back at this one and see like I think this this variant of Kang who um, uh, his fate is sort of unknown at the end of the film. It's gonna be the one that comes back, and this is that this is the Thanos that we're gonna see, you know, sure. the big the big bad or whatever.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I think the difference here is that I think it's pretty much universally recognized. I mean, this movie is getting terrible reviews, more or less, uh, I, at least middling reviews, and the fandom at large, like the MCU fandom, from what I've seen, has not liked this, and there have been a lot of reasons kind of given for that, from you know the i guess complaints have been like that sort of nerfing of the villain that like how's ant-man going to take out the you know next big villain which we can get into but uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with that as like a criticism i think there's been a lot of criticism of the way the movie wo- uh, looks and there's been i i think i saw something today that uh like a lot of the vfx team got taken off of ant-man to help finish wakanda forever and that like the finished product here isn't exactly what they had in mind and there are some like pretty i don't know you, you can just say it like the uh the effects in this movie are pretty shitty at times and like yeah. Modoc, i think is, is like case in point just a vile. ridiculous just absolutely stupid vile. looking character yeah um despite that i still think he was an entertaining character um yeah that, so like all these different reasons but i think you look back at the Thor of the dark world and it's just like it's forgettable. it's Boring. Like, it just was not a well paced or structured movie. I think Chris O'Dowd did an interview and forgot that he was in uh, (laughs) Thor the Dark World briefly. Um, But yeah, but this movie I do think has some merit on its own. Even like, it's clearly setting itself up and setting the universe up in such a way that it is going to be important a la uh, Thor the Dark World. But I think on its own, there are some things in this movie that. If someone revisits it with, like, you know, not looking at it as, ah, oh, this is the, you know, cornerstone piece of the MCU and just as, like, Ant-Man and his buddies are dicking around in the, the quantum realm. Like, it's it's fun on that level, I think.
1: I, yeah, I think I agree with that uh, for the most part. That, that sounds right to me. Um, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily... Have the worst experience in the theater with this. There's a lot of fun set pieces, and I I typically like the humor that that Ant Man has. His you know his sort of a, yeah irreverent wit. Um, and definitely this is one that I wouldn't object to like rewatching even now. Yeah. You know, I would I might go see it again in theaters since it's going to be playing for a while. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know I, this has been out for two weeks now, so I, I don't feel. Like we need to necessarily, you know, censor anything, or or we yeah, can just talk can openly. Go. Spoilers. Anyone that so wants we can to see go. It probably has. Yeah, I think we can go and just do like quick hits. Like what you what you liked about this the most. Like what you thought was the the best parts of this, and then we can go into like the worst parts. For me, Jonathan Majors, dude, that like going to be
0: my first one too. Yeah,
1: there's there's the man can fucking act like he's <laughs> so good. And He's so
0: believable, It's such a yeah, ridiculous yeah. character. And, and
1: you know, for for as I would say underwritten Kang is in this movie, everything Jonathan Majors brings him to life. Like and and this is a if you just look at 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 He Who Remains and Kang the Conqueror, mm-hmm. they're completely different and Jonathan Majors makes both of them seem like plausibly the same person and or like you know variants of each other yeah but just the the two two performances are so distinct i i I cannot give enough praise yeah with he
0: who remains he gives this like almost sort of affable performance where he still has this like threatening aura about him like you don't know that if he could what he's capable of but at the same time he's joking around and it's like yeah very uncomfortable that's the
1: thing is like i mean we're talking about loki now but he remains is so unserious and just having like a good time talking right. to talking to Loki and and uh oh, what's Sylvie his name? Sylvie yeah yeah but he the reason he's so unserious is because he's lived for so long and right he knows like the whole how thing again and again. how threatening these people the exact level of threatening these people are yeah and what what his fate is and he's resigned to it and he's just like having a good time and right he, they cannot touch him until he's ready you yeah know, he until just the delivers exact moment.
0: Like- five ten minutes of pure exposition in that episode and it's like captivating yeah it's incredible and in this movie he is more objectively threatening just in his presence but also you can sort of feel the i don't know remorse and like the the struggle he's going through you the dynamic between him and janet isn't super well defined but like you can feel the history just through his like Interactions. It is um, powerhouse performance in a movie that is, and maybe that's part of like the the tone imbalance in this movie too. Is that like Jonathan Majors is going for it, and the rest of the movie is very jokey and like, uh, I don't know, silly and and kind of more of a sci-fi thing, and he's really trying to be grounded in it, and I think that it works more often than it doesn't. But it does uh, it does strike a pretty big difference between like you know what he's doing in this movie, and I I liked Bill Murray in it. Bill Murray can just deliver a line with humor, but like the Bill Murray stuff in the um, I don't know cafe bar, whatever that place yeah they yeah meet up is um, is pretty goofy, and like a lot of this movie is pretty goofy.
1: Yeah, you can just tell. John of the Major just adds like such a, a layer of of like implied depth to Kang, almost almost like. Um, you can you can see that that he really resents having to be having to use these people even though he's completely playing them the entire time like yeah. he, he he sees every piece on the board and and is trying to orchestrate this his his escape but the fact that he has to do this at all and and rely on these people is like right he's seething a little bit and that's you can see that kind of rage under the surface even though he's completely in control the whole time until sort of the end where he, I don't know. the The writing team was like, he's got to lose, kind of, kind of deal.
0: Yeah, you can't have an Ant Man movie where Ant Man doesn't win at the end.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though. I, I think that is one one of the criticisms that that. Well, I guess I just reiterated is that you know Kang does get quote unquote defeated, right? right. He's trapped in his quantum engine, but I don't know that that's an actual defeat. I think that he's gonna come back, you, you know, um, having uh, changed or sort of conquered even this like subatomic realm within the subatomic realm. Right. Um, and that, that, I mean, they heavily imply that at the end, right? Scott is like dreading that. Yeah. He's that like, is he, it okay? Yeah. Is things are there? not, things yeah. are not good. Like, you know, everything's uh, things, things are just slightly off kilter that enough that it's like, he's having, he's having to wonder and, and, uh, has this sort of shadow over him. Um, my biggest problem, I think, is is with with M.O.D.O.K., honestly.
0: Dude, M.O.D.O.K. was hilarious. I did not like M.O.D.O.K. <laughs> I um, think he looked ridiculous. But, like, just the fact that he was going around, everyone was calling him Darren, and he was like, no, my name is M.O.D.O.K., like, <laughs> it's such a silly character. And, again, I maybe I'm not fam- as familiar with this character as some people that maybe are into the comics or, you know, other iterations. I think there was a Hulu show. Um, yeah, well, was like Modoc was
1: Pan and Oswald, I think. Yeah. Modoc in that one.
0: And he, again, he looks stupid. I'll, I, I will grant anybody that comes with a criticism that he looks stupid. But for me, just like that are all trying to like get a hold of him on the comms. Darren, Darren, he's like not responding. Modok and he's like yes hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or like the part where uh, he and Cassie are going back and forth about him being a dick that, like, I hated that moment so funny I absolutely I hated me it up. <laughs>
1: I absolutely hated it first of all before we see him right uh, as as Modok we we meet Bill Murray um who's become a traitor and and joined Kang's legion uh-huh. and it, it impresses upon them that Modoc hunting you is the worst thing that could possibly happen. <laughs> he shows up and decimates some of these uh rebel forces yeah. right away and then on his own can't handle Cassie <laughs> Lang, who's it couldn't even at the beginning of the movie couldn't even do like the jump and tap properly, right? Like yeah. she's still figuring out uh how to do
0: the whole Yeah, A-man how to use thing. these powers,
1: yeah. you know, effectively and and I'm not saying she's like stupid or or anything like that or not powerful sure in her like own it. right, but Modok is is literally mechanized or is, is organism designed only for killing, and he can't he can't <laughs> capture a teenager. Come on, man! And then at the same time, like the the, the whole premise of the first Ant Man is that these quantum particles or the, or the pin particles or whatever are messing with his brain chemistry. Yeah. Uh, which is how come how how he becomes sociopathic and like detached from? But he
0: was already humanity. like mildly sociopathic. Just I mean, in, he was a, he, he was, was a, like a businessman that was exa- like, yeah. He was amb-
1: know, he was ambitious, yeah. you know, and willing to uh, kind
0: of ruthless and unscrupulous, I guess.
1: Yeah, but then he he becomes like a super villain as Yellow Jacket because yeah. of, because he's not using the the technology properly and his brain is being poisoned. Uh, so then to to just, like, reverse that because someone says, like, hey, buddy, stop that. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but it
0: seems like uh, his – Don't be
1: a dick. Like, yeah. So, come on, Like, man. his
0: character um, – well, I think maybe there's slightly – I mean, I'm not going to try and say that there's anything more deep to anything that's going on in a Marvel movie because uh, there usually is not. But I think part of it, too, has to do with that history between, you know, like – him breaking into Cassie's room as a kid and trying to kill her or kidnap her or whatever and then having some level of like forgiveness from her or like path forward from her like what I think that's what the movie's trying to do I, I don't really yeah, care one way or that another
1: is, I mean that is the the most generous possible reading of that moment is that like right. he's looking at a girl who is grown who he tried to kill when she was six and she doesn't really care, you know. Yeah. She's he's like, like, if he, it's too late for me, you know, I, I've already made these choices that I'm I'm irredeemable. And she's like, no, dude, like just stop. But stop also,
0: it. there's got to be some idea that he was not necessarily like reborn, but like something altered within him. Probably when he became Modoc, like obviously he's not, you know, Darren Cross or whatever the guy's name was, um, and. Like from Ant Man, right? Like he's down, been down there for who knows how long, and kind of been, you know, reworked into this. It doesn't. Really, I don't buy it. I don't care. Yeah. Doesn't really matter to me. He's a ridiculous character, and he's treated ridiculously, and is just kind of used more for laughs than anything. And I think that's fine. Which, okay, but which brings me so t- two things. So the first thing I want to throw out and get your thoughts on. Something that I liked about this movie is pretty early on Cassie is I think right in prison, right? Like Uh yeah, in jail. Yeah, in jail. Scott uh gets thrown in the same jail as her or something like that or like finds her in jail. Um And yeah, I think you have to go bail her out. Yeah, and it turns out what had happened was she'd been like out with what like a protest group or something like that.
1: Yeah, the the uh SFPD was we like, raiding, like, a homeless encampment.
0: Yes, that's right. And so um, Scott's whole thing was kind of like, hey, you know, you should mind your own business and, like, stop getting in trouble for things that don't concern you, that kind of thing. And they get down to the quantum realm, and he's just like, we need to get out of here. Cassie's whole thing is we need to help these people. Like, they're under attack by this uh, conquer. At this point, we don't know who that is. Um, and Scott's whole thing, again, is just sort of like, this isn't my fight. This isn't my business. Like, I need to protect my family and get out of here. So I think underlying this whole movie, like, as silly as it looks and as silly as it is, there is this sort of underlying idea of, like, what you owe to someone. Like, it's it's kind of the Spider-Man thing, right? Like, with great power, great responsibility. Like, underlying this thing is, you know, if you have the ability to help people in need, you should help people in need. Um... I think Anna's review for it she gave one of the stars for like socialism or something (laughs) because it kind of is right like that idea that you know like just because it's not your business doesn't mean that you shouldn't try and help when people need your help and it gets a little bit muddier and messier as the movie goes along but I do think that that message being like the the tone of the movie or the the underscoring of it is what Kind of hooked me from the start, and then you know I was just kind of in for it I was like, all right, this is silly, but you know that's cool that they kind of went that direction with it,
1: yeah, I think that is one of the sort of the better parts of it. It really is like a um a a character arc for scott yeah uh, um and and development across these three movies, you know the reason he was in jail in the first movie is because he. Uh, I think he hacked some kind of financial group or a, a company and, re- and released their private data showing that they were being exploited or whatever. Right. And and was, was really like a Robin Hood act where he stole from the rich and distributed to the poor right? and uh, went to jail for that. Um, and, of course, that action, morally good, cost him everything. He, he mm-hmm. lost a lot of time with Cassie. Um, his wife divorced him. She met someone else and got remarried. Uh, and now as, as, a, as a father, he's like, this is the most important, my relationship to my daughter and sure. being there for her is like, the especially
0: most, after losing her for five years. Yeah.
1: And then, that. yes. And then being trapped in, in the quantum realm during end game, you know, or pre, pre end game, like infinity war or whatever. So yeah, now, now he's like really become not selfish isn't the right word, but like self interested in the sense that like, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to lose any more time and that's something that king right. says to him and and uh and there's a little bit of a quip where Cassie's like you like you've lost your edge old man sort of thing where yeah. he she reminds him that he did that thing uh where he helped a lot of people even though it meant a huge self sacrifice so yeah that that's that's completely present and uh, that's good i think this just falls a bit short um it's it's i don't know if it feels rushed it just feels contrived yeah um the you know the finale with how scott defeats kang and then th- there's a lot of room here for like interesting choices to be made that they're just not well that's Marvel. Um, yeah where uh, i mean this movie should have ended with with scott and hope trapped in the quantum realm
0: oh absolutely right like yeah
1: the fact that in the beginning, there's this. They get sucked into the quantum realm against their will, and the device wasn't even made as as a as as designed as a portal. It was just sent meant to send like a signal to start mapping the quantum realm. Um, is ridiculous. They just you know right at the end, at the end of the movie, the portal just opens up. Everything's fine. They get to come back. Yeah, that to their is pretty ridiculous life. that
0: they're able to just kind of come right back.
1: That that sucks. Um, Kang himself, a sort of choosing to try and bring all of his forces rather than just escaping him alone, I, I feel
0: like is a, is
1: a out-of-character choice.
0: Yeah. Um, well, we don't really know. Uh, I mean, I guess we only know what we saw of him in this movie. And so...
1: But, I mean, he, he has... he. The backstory is that he was actually exiled by the other variants for being too radical, for right. being too much...
0: Oh, that's right. That was uh, kind of revealed... I think it was revealed in the movie but it was one of the post credits, right? Y- y-
1: yes, um it's it's in it's both. So yeah. in in the text of the film, um, the reason that that Janet betrays him after they were working together is because she touches the quantum engine and sees a vision of like who he actually was. Right, cuz it was like a part of him or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And um then I I think it's uh does he? Say, I can't remember if he's the one that says it, but basically he. I
0: think he does. I think he yeah. does say. His, he says the other, they betrayed. They yeah. betrayed
1: him and like they exiled him there because he was too powerful or too you know unpredictable or he was rogue basically. Yeah. So they all turned against him. They sabotaged his quantum engine and got him stuck there. Uh So I think someone like that, the the logical choice is forget everything I built here like. I can do that again. I It's so it's much more important that I get out. I need to get yeah. out, and then I can take it from there. But sure. literally the only place that can hold him prison is where he is now. Escape. He, he should just escape. Uh, and then you have the, the, the deus ex machina with the ants coming through. I mean, that. that's at least explained. Why that, not? Yeah. yeah, that like, you know, it's plausible that they've they lived a thousand lifetimes and they're completely advanced from the time that they've been in there. Another they,
0: just like ridiculous funny thing. Like I yeah, think this movie this, is it's yeah, packed with like stupid jokes. I don't are, hate that. I don't uh, I don't
1: hate that idea. I mean, answer like uh what's the word I can't remember the name of the of the type of like society, but they they serve a queen, right? It's they, almost like a hive kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so their development in tandem with each other and an accelerated rate, like I totally believe. But at the same time, it comes out at the last second, so it just feels there's there's a couple of like plot contrivances like that that I'm just left of. left me feel yeah. left me feeling like the wind out of my sails a little bit that they could have landed <laughs> this a little better.
0: So I want to throw out an idea here and get your thoughts on it. This I, I put this in my letterbox review, but for the podcast, I want to kind of get into it a little bit because it the discussion that I've seen. And heard about this movie is most similar to any other recent Marvel movie that I can think of is Thor Love and Thunder and that movie got a lot of similar complaints about the way it looked the the kind of jokey tone and like how it like it, it, it was just I, I don't know I, I feel like people have been coming into these movies expecting one thing getting another thing and And then being upset like we talked about Thor Love and Thunder on this podcast and I think both of us thought it was fine like a movie that was you know entertaining enough and you know didn't really need to be too much more than that and that's sort of what I felt about this movie is that it was like fine enough it was entertaining I had a good time with it Uh, but it does seem like everybody is pissed off. Because they were, like, expecting this to be, like, a big Avengers movie. And they were coming into it, like, expecting some big, serious, like, superhero movie. And so what I what I put in my review on, uh, on Letterboxd was this idea that, like, Marvel spent, you know, 10 years, 12 years, whatever it was, uh, leading up to Endgame. Like, treating all of these heroes and all of these movies as, like, the most like, important, serious thing in the world. Like, you know, you have to see this and all these things connect, and it's so important that as soon as you throw at the fans now, like, a jokey movie, like, an unserious movie, like, Thor, Love, and Thunder is a pretty unserious movie. This movie, I do think, for, like, all of its setup for future future films is a pretty unserious movie and, like, not too dissimilar from what the other Ant-Man movies were, but now it's just this whole empire that's been built. You know, maybe a good uh, parallel to what happens to Kang in this movie. This whole empire that's being built is like falling in on itself because people have come to expect a certain thing, and they they just can't keep living up to the expectations that these movies set for themselves. I, I don't know. I that was like the clearest explanation because again, I saw this movie and I was like, this is fine. This is entertaining. I didn't expect too much from it, and I had a good time with it um weird to be the marvel defender on the podcast uh but i don't know what do you think about that is like a a possible explanation for why some of these movies have been not underperforming because they're still making uh boatloads of money but like i I don't know underwhelming in terms of reception
1: yeah i think i will say this is much better than thor love and thunder Think so? i think for pound for pound yeah absolutely Thor, Thor: Love and Thunder has some. I mean, I
0: do too, but
1: Thor, Thor: Love and Thunder is like completely, completely unserious. It's so yeah. irreverent. There's a joke every, on every, every line almost. It's like there's not a single serious moment that isn't interrupted by, by some forced humor, especially with like the hammer and the axe and yeah. I just really, really unserious. Thor: Love and Thunder and also some like just its own, the logic of its, of its own, uh, implications, so to speak, like, you know, gore is completely justified in that one. The gods are terrible. Um, this is much better. There's much more, there's a little bit more logical consistency in the through line in, in Ant-Man, uh, Mania. And I feel like if you are, if you came into this expecting some big Avengers team-up or, or something like that, I, I I think that one's on you
0: a little bit. I don't know. They kind of pitched People, it as that, didn't they? Like, as this is going to be, like, a big Avengers-level, like, you know. I mean, I if they did market it that way,
1: I, I'm not privy to it. I, I guess I didn't pay that much attention leading up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kang is, is the next big bad, and maybe it's not this Kang that we see in this movie, but we got the introduction to He Who Remains, and now we've seen this variant, and in the post credits, we see dozens, you know, yep. hundreds even of other variants. And then the the final post credits is a variant. Biggest cheer of um, the
0: entire movie from the audience.
1: The Victor the, Timely, the
0: Loki, uh, uh, Loki. And I'm excited Mo- for Loki Mo- season two. Was like, it Mobius?
1: Mo- yeah, Mobius and Mobius, the best. Um, I, I'm looking forward to their to their next season. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this definitely is in an in, in introduction to, to the big villain of, of the coming phases of, of the MCU. Um, I, I think the real problem is that much like a successful YouTube channel, it's subject to the algorithm of, of YouTube, and it's, it, it, it's a desire, a, a, a demand, a capitalistic demand for just content above all. Uh, there's been some breakdowns that I've seen where they're doing like four times their input or their output that they did, you know, uh, in like the 2010s. Sure. There's, there's movies, there's TV shows, there's one shots now with something like the, uh, was it werewolf by night?
0: Oh yeah. I guess they are doing those. That's right.
1: Yeah. There's just, it's a content saturation that we're seeing, um, that leads to other issues. You know, people are, are not able to catch everything or are burned out. Uh, vfx teams are are redlining it like
0: yeah that's the sad part about this whole thing is like these people are working their asses off and like getting no sleep working massive overtime and then everyone's just like this looks like shit yeah and it's just like it's not necessarily their fault but also like you know the way that marvel's treating them is is pretty terrible too
1: yeah absolutely um, and that's just the that's the nature of the content machine and and for the the largest franchise globally that exists mm-hmm. right now like it's to be expected i guess um hopefully i honestly they should just do less do less <laughs> you know yes. you can you can do so much more if you just do less like yeah. you know uh,
0: it's so funny that you know see... No, go ahead. Don't
1: be a dick. Come Don't on, be like a dick. that's
0: the the commentary online is just so ridiculous because it's. I mean, like obviously you should never wade into the comments or anything, but you know, there's people that are just like, "This movie looks terrible. It's awful, whatever." And then you've got like this guy that's sincerely like, "Look, they've given us 30 movies. They can't all be great. We got to sit through <laughs> the bad ones to get the good ones." Oh, and people man. are like, "No, no, man. Like they, like they literally could just make a good movie. Yeah, it's just."
1: you're you're talking you're talking about you know multi-million dollar budgets and this is the this is what you get yeah no way yeah that's true man
0: and it's it's i mean every one of these things is like screen written by committee and just you know workshopped beyond its death to where like you know it's the most inoffensive thing that can be produced and you know is just set up to set things up like that's the whole point of these movies at this point and has been for a long time but i think now it just maybe after the fact that um you know iron man and captain america are kind of through we're we're just not with characters that we have this built up uh, reverence for and all that stuff and it just doesn't feel as important to sit through like a nothing movie with you know ant-man and company as it did with uh with like captain america or iron man or anything like that uh i don't know anything else you want to say about ant-man and quantum i
1: think i'm good more kang <laughs> We're yes ready for more yeah kang. more jonathan majors
0: uh all right well let's round it up
1: uh Two and a half.
0: Two and a half okay i gave it three and a half i uh you know, Anna and I went and saw this and had just a, a marvelous time. It was uh it was very fun.
1: Oh, I'm uh, lying actually. I gave it three. So you gave it
0: three. There you go. That's not so bad.
1: Nah. No.
0: Yeah. I've I've seen a lot of like two star and one and a half and all that. But yeah. Uh Ant Man Quantumania, check it out. Uh I had fun. All right, Zach, so you just yesterday as we record this uh, went and had a little adventure out to the movie theater to see the Oscar-nominated shorts, the uh, animated ones, and the live-action ones, not the documentary shorts. Yes, is that correct?
1: that is correct, yeah.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, this is something that I have never actually done, so I think the last three Oscar years I saw every uh feature length film that was nominated in every category um and this year i am a few movies off of it so far but (laughs) we're uh we're close enough that it might it might still happen we'll see um but yeah never the shorts uh so yeah you went and saw those uh do you want to list them off real quick the the films that you saw
1: yeah okay so the uh the shorts nominated in a live action category we have evilu uh from where was this from uh Denmark okay and then uh, night ride uh from Norway uh Le Pipile which is like italian um i don't know if the film is actually from italy i assume it is uh um also a disney movie yeah that,
0: that's on uh, disney plus i think
1: yeah uh and then uh the red suitcase out of luxembourg wow um, and then an Irish goodbye uh, out of Northern Ireland
0: very diverse slate of films Do yeah. you want to just go through the live action ones first and then we'll, we'll do the animated ones
1: yeah sure um,
0: um, so what what in here uh, let's start with this like what in here was good like what would you so say I, as like I, you as enjoy? I was
1: as I was watching these and as, as the you know the showcase for this ended I was thinking man like what's gonna win um yeah that I was feel, gonna be my next question. I feel like it's so okay. So on a personal level, right? Yes. yes. Um, I didn't. I didn't dislike anything that I watched. I thought that they were all pretty neat in their own ways. Uh, had some some good qualities. Like mm-hmm. I can see why they were selected among probably the thousands of short films they have produced every year. Uh, and maybe they had the right exposure or whatever. I don't know anything. I about mean, that kind I of think stuff, the but.
0: selection criteria is they have to play at a like a major film festival, right? Uh, so that like narrows the field, gets a lot of the filtering done by, um, you know, film festivals themselves, right? And then I imagine you know the ones that get you know any sort of good reception out of those uh, end up sort of on the radar.
1: Yeah. So out of this one, out of the live actions, I think. My personal favorite um, is the the red suitcase. This is a, a 17 minute short um, about a young girl from Iran uh, only 16 years old um, and has been uh, entered into an arranged marriage. Oh, okay. um, so she's in the nice. air she's in Luxembourg airport. And is sort of deciding that she doesn't want to go through this, and then needs to escape. So it's this horrifying thriller of like this really tense of like, is she gonna make it out? Right. Um, while her husband is waiting for her and like looking for her, uh, or you know her her, her to be husband. Yeah, betrothed. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, very very well done. I thought um, probably I think my my personal favorite out of these five uh but like i said the, i mean these are all good i think it's i think it's that one um or probably uh le Poupille that that wins um
0: yeah so i see you mark down uh le Poupille with uh PPA. i don't know how you would say that with uh with a heart here does that mean that you think that's the one that's gonna ultimately cross the finish line at the Oscars.
1: So this is Disney produced. Yeah. Um, on and, Disney
0: Plus for everyone to see.
1: And also, uh, Al Alfonso Coron has a producer credit on That's this. That's
0: pretty powerful.
1: Um, it's also so funny. It's yeah. hula- it's hilarious. It's uh, we've been meaning to watch it. We haven't. It's quite so it it's yet. it's so whimsical and just like absolutely silly. Uh, it's the story of um, sort of like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at this uh religious boarding school in Italy during mm-hmm. during the first world war.
0: Oh, directed by Alice Rohrwalker. Uh,
1: there is singing and dancing and it's got like a madeline kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, just really funny and and the girls are so adorable and you just you can't help but like love it. It's it's just it's fun. Um I, this is widely available on Disney Plus as we said. I think anyone uh, who has Disney Plus should check this out. It's only a couple of minutes long. Uh it clocks in at thirty eight minutes, right? So this one really maximizes the time. I want to say forty minutes is the limit to be considered a short for the Oscars. Right. So it's using every just about every minute that it that it's allocated. Uh and does it do a lot with those. Absolutely. Just brevity and humor and and whimsy.
0: Yeah. Starring the director's daughter too as the uh the Mother Superior uh Fioralba?
1: Yeah. So it's just these it's just these young adolescent orphan girls. Yeah. Um living in in, in uh this religious boarding school orphanage and getting up to hijinks and, and there's a very
0: strict Mother Superior who's really, really mean. Um <laughs> You should you should watch the director's uh last feature. It's, uh, I think it's on Netflix. It's called Happy as Lazaro. Um, that
1: sounds familiar.
0: Really good, kind of a almost like a fairy tale hmm. type story um, about this, uh, I don't know, like teenage boy who is living in like sort of a rural agrarian kind of community who I can't remember, something happens where they like either all die or, some, or something like that. And he wakes up and he's in the city and he's like in the future. And it's... Uh, like, sort of about him exploring. It's really interesting. It's kind of split into two halves, but I, huh, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I'll a have lot.
1: to check that one out. Uh, I don't know. I, I, really don't know how to explain this one without just giving like a complete plot overview, like like going over the entire plot because it's it's a bit nonsensical and it's whimsy, but uh, it is a lot of fun and, and a really good, really good uh, way to spend forty minutes for sure.
0: Nice. Any other uh, live action ones that you want to? highlight or uh yeah
1: I mean so they're they're all good in their own way um just I'll just give a brief description of each one like what happened so Ivalu is about a young um indigenous girl uh whose sister goes missing and is sort of um she feels like you know the 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 huge sense of like loss and is wondering where what happened to her sister uh it's a bit sad um she she is visited by this raven, who's like a spirit, and you know, uh, takes her on this on this trail of like what happened. Um, yeah, ba- that one is adapted from a graphic novel, and that's why I, I, while I was watching, it, I was like, this feels like it would be a really good like book, like an illustrated book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then it was like adapted from this graphic, novel. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So now I definitely want to read that book, Night Ride. Um, a uh, woman um a little person uh accidentally steals a tram <laughs> it's the best way she uh steals a tram and goes on an, on a ride and stuff happens really funny uh uh let we went over red suitcase we went over and then the last one is an irish goodbye this one's from northern ireland a uh young man and his brother with down syndrome um are returning from their mother's funeral mm-hmm. uh and the older brother lives in england the younger brother lived on this on this farm in in ireland with his mother um and of course the brother wants nothing to do with his farm wants to sell it and go back to england and and have his younger brother live with with their aunt so that he has a caretaker right uh the young brother wants none of it wants to be independent wants to keep the farm wants to keep living on it uh and they make this deal where their mother had a bucket list and they have to accomplish everything on the list before they can sell the property. And so it's this journey of two brothers Just reconnecting. Kind of yeah, really hilarious. Um, great year for Ireland. <laughs> we got Banshees. <laughs> That's true. And we got this. Uh, and it's, this is really, really funny. I, I like this one a lot.
0: Do you think that some of the... Uh the Banshee's love might uh, carry over and, and give it a chance or it's um, not,
1: not so it not, I mean, I feel like with the shorts category, it's more about who, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not too confident in the Academy's ability to, to determine
0: not too confident in the Academy's ability to actually <laughs> watch things. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm not sure what's going to get the most buzz here. Um, I, I think any of these have a shot, but, i feel like it's really hard to uh when disney has their hat in the ring
0: that's true there's like, a lot of money behind that too.
1: yeah yeah
0: okay so let's jump over to the uh to the animated side of things here you wanna so why don't we kind of do this one in reverse a little bit do you want to list them off and give just like a brief description of what they are and then we'll jump into
1: yeah absolutely you know, sure so good yeah, so this, these were the five animated shorts. Um, the first one, An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake, and I think I believe it. Great title. Yeah. This one is a stop-motion animation, which um, I, if you're a long-time listener of the show, you've heard me gush about movies like Coraline. We talked about Pinocchio uh, not too recently, or too, uh, pretty recently. Yeah, pretty recently. And, um, I, Wendell this and Wild, big fan, right? Yeah, when, I mean, that's Henry Selick too, Nightmare yeah, Before is. Christmas. I am a huge fan of this, of the art of stop motion animation, um, so anything like this has it has like a place in my heart. And this one was really funny. Um, it's about this guy who's sort of uh, trapped in this um, telemarketing job, uh, and the whole movie is shot on the um, the screen, the the camera screen. So I, I guess I don't know the actual name for that device, but. When you're filming a movie, like a viewfinder kind you, of thing, sort of. When you're when you're filming a movie, you have a screen that you can see what the camera is seeing, like on a television almost. Mm-hmm. And so the whole movie is that you see the the stop motion artist doing every move, um, oh, doing all this, and and uh, you know seeing the puppets' faces move and, and things like this. And this guy is really kind of stuck in a rut and and unhappy, and he's about to lose his job because he hasn't made a single sale. Uh, and then he falls asleep at his desk and wakes up and there's an ostrich in the office and the ostrich is like, did you ever think about this? You know, um, question everything. And, uh, he has a whole nightmarish experience, uh, where he realizes that he is being controlled by a person. Um, and, uh, it's really, it's really a really funny short. Um,
0: it's short too. It's like uh 12 minutes. Yeah, is it, it, is, it is.
1: It is very quick and uh, very humorous, um, Good, a, a really good one. I, I like this one a lot. Next is the Flying Sailor. Um, this is from Canada. And it is the story, I guess, in an adaptation of a real event. I think that it was like the Halifax explosion of 1917. There was a ship that was carrying a just a, an enormous amount of TNT uh, that collided with another ship. And then there was a huge explosion. And this guy, a sailor at the time, uh, was on a dock and went flying like two kilometers, and lived to tell about it. Jeez! So this is like <laughs> this is like an, an animation of like his bar tale of like you know he's he's having a couple rounds at the pub and it was like this is what I experienced. Yeah. Um, I'll just read my review really quickly because uh, I think it's important. Um. They got the dick physics 100%
0: right. And I know the Academy yeah. takes that into account. <laughs>
1: because he's he's walking down the pier, lights a cigarette, turns to his left, and then, boom, the explosion goes off. And he's blown sky high, and then his clothes also fly off. So he's naked this entire flight. Um, and it's just like a... Re- uh, he His life flashes before his eyes, essentially. Okay. So he's experiencing all kinds of stuff and then there's inner cuts with with things that he experiences like a child and uh, you know when he was younger his career as a sailor um really relatively short this was eight only minutes, 8 yeah, yeah really really uh, the shortest of them i think um beautifully animated and i mean it's fine it's really not much there though yeah uh, in in my opinion still funny and and animation is is awesome next is the ice merchants uh, this is one about a father and son who,
0: oh, this looks cool. I can even see like the animation on here. The anim- well. this is
1: beautifully, beautifully animated. And th- it's, it's a, it's a bit funny because what they do is they, they live in some kind of mountainous region where there's a village below, but their house is like tacked onto the mountain like it's suspended against the mountain and they live high enough that temperature gets below freezing so they just fill a big uh, container with water every night and then in the morning it's a huge block of ice and then they break it up and they put it in a pack and they skydive down to the village (laughs) and they sell ice Uh, and um, then they have this like motorcycle pulley contraption that they use to get back up that has a counterweight so they skydive down, they take this bike up. And then when they step off it, the counterweight sends the bike back down safely so they can get back up. And they do that. They do this every day and every day, uh, they're falling so far and so fast that their, their hats fly off. So they always buy new hats every day. Um, and I, there, there, there are some, um, allusions to, uh, what happened to the mother in this case. And, uh, (coughs) Some some disaster strikes, and and how they sort of make it out of that. But it's really really, I love the art style on this, and uh, it's it's quite a nice story.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. What else do we have?
1: Next is the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Uh, this... The
0: Apple TV one. I've seen the. Yeah. The, you know. It is Apple TV. Poster art for this. A this is another one.
1: Times. This is another one based on a book, on a children's book. Um and features Idris Alba as a fox. So that seems important. That is cool. Um so I think I think I might be in on in the camp that, that doesn't like this one that much, but it seems to be really popular and uh people tend to like it. I think as a book, this would you know, I, I can understand why people would love this as a book and like why someone will, would want to option this to make a short film like this. Sure. Um, it's essentially a young a young boy like a Christopher Robin type figure who uh is lost in um this winter wonderland, uh, who meets these animals and they become his companions. So the mole, the fox, and the horse. Um, and along the way they learn to like love each other and realize what they each bring to the table and the value. So that they a hundred years
0: from now, we're gonna get the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse blood and honey
1: yes uh yeah absolutely um so i mean this is this is another one that's absolutely stunning to look at it's so beautiful but the messaging and the way that it works i feel like in this sort of in in the medium of film uh just feels completely like empty and like hollow and like trite to me it's just like saying these like empowering messages like you matter and you have value and all this stuff but there's no weight behind it at least at least to me as a as a book though like if i was reading this to to my child or a parent was reading this to their child i can absolutely see how powerful it is um so there's some messaging here that's that's really nice and and good and important i just don't know if it's as successful as a film as it is as it would be as like a book okay um, but still, again, as an animated short, really, really beautiful to look at. An, an excellent showcase for the power of animation, for sure. And then the last one, my favorite, and what I actually hope wins, even though I think it's going to be the the boy, the the mole, of the fox, and the horse, um, is called My Year of Dicks. And uh, this is about a, a woman, the actual, I think, the director and the writer, uh, autobiographical sort of memoir of her time as a teenager uh, when she felt the need to lose her virginity Mm -hmm. um, and how she went about that and, like, really, like, learning about herself. Uh, This one is completely, like, so humorous and, like, so devastating. Like, you know, we were both teenagers once. Anyone who's watching this, you know, uh, as an adult is going to remember those like super awkward teenage years and things that you did that were so stupid trying to impress, you know, the the gender that you were attracted to or whatever. Um, and just like what you thought was so cool and you look back and like cringe now. I really like the animation choices in this one. Each It's told in chapters, so there's five chapters uh, and each one has to do with a different boy she was pursuing at the time um and and they're they're animated differently so there's like a sort of like a punk like animation one uh there's like an anime style uh it's it's really fun to watch and really just hilarious um especially like when her father gives her the sex talk and it just (laughs) it's 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 brutal um but also really sweet and heartfelt and Uh, This is one I would absolutely rewatch again and I hope it becomes widely available because it was just so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting. I think what the difference between the live action and the the animated category tends to be, and this is true I think sometimes of the feature length uh, versions here, is that uh, animation is not just about the movie and like the story it's telling, but sometimes about the form and like, if someone can do something interesting with the form and it sounds like a few of these movies do that um notably like you just said my year of dicks it sounds like uh does but also this uh an ostrich told me the world is fake and i think i believe it seems like it's doing something interesting with animation style in general and that matters sometimes for this I think yeah as well.
1: I, I I am less optimistic than you are I think and especially having seen these I I think um, <coughs> I, I feel like it's gonna go to the Apple TV one like it's to, yeah. to, to this one that's like I I believe it's it's Apple TV in in conjunction with the bbc right it's um, got idris elba which is yeah just big it, enough. it's got a yeah quite the powerhouse and, and
0: sounds like something that like academy members could watch with their kids or whatever too yeah at
1: home. yeah so um so i feel like the cynic in me is saying that that's the default choice that if if i'm a voter uh and i haven't seen any of them and i just defer to like what's well, most well known that's what i'm going with but yeah absolutely my year of dicks my favorite of, of the five animated ones and rightfully
0: deserves to be the winner i think the, the, i the, mean it's just impressive that a movie called my Year of dicks could get nominated yeah, for an oscar in yeah, general
1: absolutely but that's because like the nomination voting is only for people that are like associated with that industry in you that brand. Like, yeah, yeah editors vote on the editing um you know directors vote on direct that, that kind of thing i mean i'm sure best directors it's a group like, of people that are yeah. more likely
0: to have seen everything and yes have, yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: so um but the 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 chapter structure and like each different guy is hilarious um there's a guy there's one that's called the the, the first chapter is about a guy she calls the vampire um who's just this absolute piece of shit Uh, and then you have she accidentally like dates a gay guy for a little bit who's not interested in her sexually at all even though she's making a lot
0: of advances just i i really loved it i think yeah that's one that sounds like a lot of fun yeah so okay, well, uh, yeah, I've never done this, gone to see all the shorts. You know, I've caught some Oscar-nominated shorts here and there, like ones that are available and all of that. Is it something you think you'll be doing again, like uh, next next season, or?
1: Definitely, I mean, so uh, this was just down at the at the, the Long Beach um, Regal. Uh, They're having the showcase, so yeah, absolutely, I would. And this was put on by a a website and, I guess, television channel called Shorts.TV that's available as, like, part of a cable package or like, has a website that you can subscribe to. Um, It's definitely opened my eyes a little bit more to, like, short film as a medium. You know, it's not something I've previously engaged with very much, Uh, but it's super interesting and, like... uh, I'm I'm sure there's short films out there that are you know that I'm not gonna like at all, yeah. But just I mean that's the same with like you know feature length as well, Um, and this I suppose is quote unquote like the cream of the crop for this year, Um, yeah,
0: Uh, or at least in the conversation for that, sure.
1: Yeah, Uh, but it's it's certainly interesting to be able to um to see what someone is trying to say in such a contained amount of time um you really have to like there's not room for any excess or anything like that like you really to feel like you need a clear vision uh and right. for it for it to be coherent and to convey so much in such a short amount of time i think the average runtime for these is like less than 20 minutes so yep it really is like a flash in the pan and and uh A a lot more interesting to me now um, and something that I'll definitely consider and maybe next like...
0: tend to be showcases for feature-length films too, you know, that if the reception is good enough. I want to say some notable examples like Wes Anderson. Uh, Bottle Rocket started as a short that he then adapted into a... uh, I think it won Sundance and then he adapted it into a feature-length film and launched a big career. Um, Daniel Destin Cretton... Made short term twelve as a short film first, uh, which I think was Lakeith Stanfield's acting debut. Yeah.
1: Uh, Damien Chazelle as well, Babylon. right? With or not Babylon? Yes, not Babylon. Babylon. <laughs> Babylon hive.
0: Whiplash. Definitely yes, Whiplash. Was a short yeah, film. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so definitely some merit in like exploring these things and something I think. Yeah, for sure. I think, I yeah, sure. I
1: think I, I'm. am not gonna like subscribe to Shorts TV or or you know. Seek out a ton of shorter films, but definitely on the circuit like if we do Sundance next year. Um, Might be worth checking out a yeah, program. Absolutely.
0: Alright, Zach, let's wind things down by talking about so one of the things we wanted to do or we're thinking about doing with this episode and maybe the next couple is we touched on most of the best picture winners uh or best picture nominees i guess for this year Mm -hmm. uh and there are just a few that we didn't discuss on the podcast so one that you watched recently um i watched a little while back that is All Quiet on the Western Front. So this is a movie that I think earned eight or nine nominations. It was tied with Banshees of Inisharin yeah for the second most after Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a movie that I think earned 14 BAFTA nominations. Uh, so like something that has really popped in the eyes of, um, I don't know, awards bodies and uh, worth talking about. Uh, this is a German adaptation of the classic anti-war, like World War One, uh, novel, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, which was adapted in nineteen forty by a British, um, director. I can't. I don't have the names right in front of me, but uh, by a British director that uh, won Best Picture actually back in uh, nineteen forty and this is the first time it's been adapted in the german language. Uh you watched this not too long ago. Um what do you think?
1: Uh I liked it quite a bit. Um um I also liked 1917 a couple years ago. Uh it's war as brutal as it is is quite like cinematographic I suppose like it's you know there's a reason why war films are so popular. Um, not only for the the stories of you know heroes and, and great win or like you know triumphant wins and horrific losses, but like it is spectacle. Um, it you know it's explosive, literally, uh, and that is something that the camera absolutely captures here. Uh, it is it is quite the display, and the the cinematography here is is of the highest order.
0: Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. You haven't seen the uh the nineteen forty edition of this, right? No, I have not. Let I haven't me, seen let the, me the original adaptation, this. no. Yeah, that is a Lewis uh, milestone movie, um, who did like the he did the original Oceans Eleven. Um I feel like is a pretty well known um he's Russian American, not not Irish. Uh so anyway. Uh, that again, that movie one best picture, um, really, really good. Like uh, genuinely, uh, I think I have it as a five star review in my book. And <laughs> one of the best movies I've ever seen, uh, is this 1940 adaptation of this, this book. And it is, um, devastating, right? It's this, uh, mostly quiet adaptation of world war one, uh, that was shot and directed made in between the world wars when the like wounds were still fresh. And this like this very brutal, very direct anti-war p- piece of filmmaking saying like what we've just been through, what we are, are uh, I mean, I guess it was during world war two then if it was 1940, right? Yeah. What we're going through now is something that we should never, ever go through. And, the ideas that it presents like that atmosphere back at the time of like warmongering and and nation building and and all of these things as being a complete folly is so poignant and sharp in this in that adaptation whereas this movie i think is obviously with the advent of all of the filmmaking technology that has that exists now you can capture the horrors of war in such like a a visceral way but it doesn't have any of that like no one involved in the making of this this movie this version of the movie seems to have that same inherent understanding of what it was actually like to be in that situation and and, i mean i'm speaking as someone that has never been in that situation either but it just comes through so strongly in that 1940 version like in that 1940 version you're filling the screen with actors who most likely were fighting in World War 1 or were at least cognizant of that or you know somehow involved or had family members directly involved in that kind of thing and this movie it is much more interested in the politics of war the guy that um that was Daniel in Daniel Bruhl Yeah, Daniel Bruhl is uh he plays sort of like a he doesn't play the. Um, it's like a chancellor. Or yeah, some, some, like the a, war a chancellor diplomat. Or a, he's
1: a he's a high-ranking diplomat in the. In right the and Kaiser's and, and uh, there is
0: this sort of secondary track regime. that does not exist in the in the 1940 version of, like the diplomatic side of of like we need to put a stop to this war on this side, but also there's people that want it to keep going for their own reasons, and it's that part of it is just sort of like the profiteering of war is interesting but not i don't know i this this felt a lot more scattered and maybe that's my own like fault bringing in like perception of the story from yeah. another telling of it but for me it's it's tough to fully engage with a retelling of a story when it's not reaching the levels of the of the prior version and i i, I don't know i would uh I encourage you to watch.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's certainly on on my radar the the original adaptation. I, I would also go so far as to say that like I don't think I don't think um readapting a a movie is always necessarily a, an endeavor to tell the story better than the original adaptation sure. or to sur- surpass it in any way. It's just more maybe to like modernize it and especially if a film as old as that uh, has, has a much smaller audience today. Of course. Um, and conversations like these and exposure, especially on, on the world stage as a, as a Best Picture nominee, um, is inevitably going to lead people back to that, to that original adaptation, which I think is good. Um, and just speaking about this one on its own, I actually appreciated those those perspectives uh, not I mean I guess not that I would say that that I would fault the original without having seen it for not having that, but I think it's good to show that like there are people at long tables eating sure. the richest meals, uh discussing the merits and consequences of the war being miles and miles and miles away from any of the fronts any of the horror that 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 the soldiers are are facing daily and and you know facing death honestly and yep they're they're just in the comfort of of these extravagant buildings and, and you know having having conversations that decide the fate of other men uh and it's and it's like it's it's folly right it's 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 madness it's it's quite insane that 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 happens and it's happening now as we're talking like we're talking right now people are making decisions that yeah absolutely are sending other people to their death and and yeah i think um i think it was uh was it godard who said that you can't really make an anti-war film i was just
0: going to bring that up that like even an anti i don't know the exact quote but it's the effect is even an anti-war film is, like, the greatest pro-war propaganda Yeah, because, like, you make these films, like you said, right? Like, it is explosive. It is engaging in that level. Um, I Again, I have heard people gushing over the artfulness of this film. And for me, like, it, it is good. But I, I think even, like, a movie like 1917 is more artful, in my mind, than this, this film. And even that's a movie that I wasn't, like, terribly impressed with but to your point about that like every war film is a pro-war film is like yeah like because of that explosiveness because of the engagement it generates like any movie where you're showing that kind of thing makes war look cinematic and makes war look cool and again maybe the only war film I keep coming back to it but the only war film I've ever seen that really felt like it was just destroying the whole concept of going to war in the first place was uh, the 1940 um, All Quiet on the Western Front. So I had a lot of high hopes coming into this, and it was sort of, you know, I went and saw this in a movie theater, and I think I'm glad I did. It was... Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I wish I'd seen this on the big screen.
0: It was very cinematic, for sure, but I, it, it was underwhelming uh, in terms of those expectations.
1: Yeah, I think... Um this is a valiant effort in terms of being as as forwardly anti-war as you can be while also depicting war. Yeah. Um, as as a as a feature film, uh, this spends a lot of time outside of any conflict. Right. Um, there are there are a few big conflict sequences, but most of the moments we get are are uh, character moments where they're having discussion about what they're missing back home or what sure. they're going to do when they get there um, we have these political sequences uh there's a really interesting general um who is just like this absolute war dog who doesn't even have an identity outside yeah, of war like, yeah calls
0: for a last minute he's the one that calls for a last minute attack before the the ceasefire mhm yeah
1: yeah and he yeah he has this interesting uh monologue about his family history about how every Every, almost like a lieutenant dan like every every member <laughs> yes. of this family is his father and his father's father all all one of the were, b- were best soldiers.
0: parts about uh of course gump like in yeah. retrospect just yeah.
1: but uh yeah this really goes a long way to showcase like the human cost um the needless death i think and really early on like because as the movie starts, you you're following these these young German boys who are, are like have been eager to go off, the propagandized, war, yeah, yeah and, and have bought into the the nationalism that, that Germany was peddling at the time, and are ready to go to the front. They're excited. They feel like it's their it's their duty to their country, and you know, duty as young as young German men to to go fight in this war, and they get there, and of course, it's nothing like they expect. It's all too real, all yep. too quickly everyone uh could not give less of a shit about them as the new recruits like all these seasoned soldiers who are there they're like you're going to be dead by tomorrow yeah you know like they've already re- they, they these are these are men who've already realized that any attachment is is a vulnerability in this in this environment um and the yeah. first thing they're tasked to do is collect the dead
0: right which is just a brilliant uh sort of uh, i'm trying to think of the word here where um reflection of the end of the movie or yeah. uh, ripple to, to the end where it's yeah. just you know someone is collecting the dog tags of you know one of the characters at the beginning of the movie who was tasked with doing that that were attached to you know like mm-hmm. it is um
1: and then and then right away I think not maybe not that night or the next night but the following one the first time they get like bombarded uh their bunker collapses and and one of his friends uh that he he was in school with and then became infantry with, uh, dies and he finds his his broken glasses and the last thing he said was like I want to go home like I'm scared I want my mother yeah I, we shouldn't have come to the to this war kind right. of thing and it really just goes so far as to like really gut punch that like this is completely needless uh, slaughter and it, it 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 revisits that multiple times throughout and then of course uh, at the end twice you just get one right after the other because uh you're following this group of men you know these like six characters and i don't remember all their names but
0: yeah the main one is paul but yes he's uh, yeah he's the
1: he's the central character his it's from his perspective that we see all of these events um and how he loses every single one of his friends that he's gotten close to and how each one of them meets their demise in different ways uh and then of course he himself only having been there because of this zealous general that i mentioned earlier yeah so it's just yeah it's completely like it's as it's as anti-war as it gets i think for for filmmaking i mean i haven't seen this original adaptation you got you got to watch it yeah
0: i I would implore anyone to watch it because it (coughs) really strips the story down to it's like nuts and bolts in that like same sort of idea i if i'm remembering right it's been a couple years maybe 3 or 4 years even since i've seen that adaptation of it but these uh schoolboys are basically being told by their professor that like you he's like the
1: headmaster right yeah
0: yeah like it's it is your responsibility to to like defend your country and gets them all riled up and then a soldier comes in and he's injured and he's like don't do this like you know this is like, I made it back, but my friends didn't in this whole idea, and, uh, the boys, like, kind of watch him, and then just immediately go back to, like, cheering for the war effort and go sign up, and there is no political side of it, which, again, I do think is an interesting other side to explore, but I do think it, it's, the way it's interwoven in this movie isn't necessarily the most engaging way to tell it, um... But, yeah, but in that version, that's totally stripped away, and, like, a lot of the set pieces even are kind of just stripped away. It's just the slog of, like, you mentioned, you know, there are these, like, battles and there are these moments where characters that you grow attached to die, but in between it is just, like, long stretches of boredom and, like, being out there and having nothing to do and having, like, no sense of comfort or anything like that. It's, um really incredible uh this movie again like i think it does a lot of the same things approaches some of the same topics but like it to me it just doesn't feel as like singularly pointed at this this one idea of like war destroys like whole societies kind of uh in the same way and then on top of that i do think that that critique of like every war film is like in to some degree pro-war comes through more in this film and and i think it's just because like the way they're able to just show the horrors of war in such graphic (coughs) but also in such like realistic ways like the explosions and like the heroism and that sort of thing like this movie is obviously not about that for these characters like no one in this movie is poised as like a a hero going off to like for some just cause, and of course, as World War One is the subject, there really is not a just cause at at stake in World War One. Um, but I do think that this movie makes it look very cinematic in a way that you know some other ones it, haven't.
1: It's doing, yeah. It's it's uh, again, I think in, inherently. When you when you go to devise an action sequence, you are inherently trying to make it cinematic and look of course. And, and visually engaging. And then when you come to a topic like war, uh, that 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 necessity is still there. so you you create it that way. Um, and I think this movie is if you look at it beyond beyond just what is presented on screen and, and honestly what happens immediately after, right? you have this this visually beautiful and intense and horrific and, and bombastic sequence and then immediately is followed with consequences that are absolutely dire yep. and unnecessary and why are these people even here um, or just gut-wrenching losses to, to the other characters or whatever it is. Um, but previous to that, it is absolutely showing this in, in a light that is completely cinematic. There's an entire sequence where... Uh, these two infantrymen men clear out an entire bunker by themselves and it's so it's heroic they're they saving right. they're saving the lives of the men around them by tossing a grenade into this bunker by coordinating their shots at the same time and like peeking out at the right moment bayoneting people like they the the action is propulsive and engaging and kinetic and you feel it all and they are like on you know high on adrenaline and, and, and fighting for the guy next to them. And yeah, all of that comes through and it's trying to really well. And then of course something happens immediately after that is just like, none of this is worth it. But at the same time, I think for, for it, it's really easy to just, just keep with that, the, the excitement and, and, you know, right off, off, right off the boring part. So it's, it's re- it's a really, really difficult line to tread for anybody, even the most talented of, of filmmakers, but uh, if you were if you are looking at the signs and you're seeing you're you're watching this movie for all of its parts it's, it's it's completely like this rubber band effect where they're showing you what you're used to seeing in something like saving Private Ryan or you know any, any of these like prolific war films we've had uh, and then absolutely showing you like trying to pull the rug out underneath and and, and um
0: yeah and then there's some really just gutting scenes in this like the one that comes to mind is i think uh, it's it's sort of like a hand-to-hand fight between i think i think it was paul it's, it's been a while since i've seen this movie and uh i guess it would be an english or a french soldier or something and he basically like stabs this person or something like that yeah. or like make make some choke on dirt or something like that and yeah. then is just devastated by the own actions that he's taken like yeah. the the humanity that he's lost and all that it's it's a really powerful that, moment
1: that whole sequence is is intense um yeah the it's they're it's Fran- they're french um and they've sort of taken the the momentum and they're they're pushing they're doing this like uh uh bombard and like move forward i can't remember what the name of the tactic is but it's basically they they send mortars over and then the infantry advances but except this time they're reinforced by tanks and soldiers with like flamethrowers. Uh so they're forced to the Germans are forced to evacuate this, this uh trench. And yeah, you're exactly right. He does end up in a hand to hand fight with a with a French soldier. Yeah. Um while the rest of the line is advancing. And number one, he is without a weapon um, there's an enemy combatant in this hole that they're both in yeah uh, he's gotten the upper hand by stabbing this guy in the heart yeah um and <laughs> but the thing is the guy is not dying quietly um, he is making a lot of noise and noise will draw the attention of the soldiers advancing on the line and if they see that he's alive so then he stops, they will execute yeah. him yes so he tells him to be quiet like to shut up and then he, the guy is dying he's not right there's con- no he's consideration yeah no this. no yeah. consideration for being quiet whatsoever so he grabs a, a handful of mud and stuffs it in his mouth um and then of course after the line advances and and he's out of danger for the moment he is c- confronted with the image of this man choking on his own blood right that he has that he is responsible for killing just brutal and uh immediately um has has just incredible remorse and actually tries to save this man's life uh, futilely. Of course, like, uh, yeah,
0: obviously too late.
1: And there's this, there's this, this absolutely brilliant touch of of uh, the guy being afraid that he's just coming to hurt him more. Right. But he's like, no, no, like I'm, I'm a friend. Just yeah, an absolutely gutting sequence. And and
0: yeah, like the the like immediate yeah. turn on it. It's um, yeah, yeah. I I guess before we wrap up this section, what I would. Ask is, this is the movie, (laughs) I don't know that I was the most surprised to see in Best Picture. Uh, I do think it was by the time the nominations came out, sort of expected.
1: This is also in Best International Feature, right? It
0: is, which is almost guaranteed to win now because you basically don't get nominated for Best Picture without having a pretty broad support. Uh, And, you know, I'm not sure that it has happened that an international feature has been nominated for Best Picture and not won in... Um, in International. In International. So I, I think it's got to be considered the favorite there. Uh, but I, I think, again, not super surprising because this was sort of anticipated given the BAFTAs and given like the the very quick rise. And, and part of that must be Netflix having it available at home for anyone to watch. Um, maybe some sort of recency bias as well. But, like again, I do think it is a good movie. Not a movie that I think is, like, uh, not what I what I would put in, uh, you know, the 10 best movies of the year, um, even if The Craft is good. So, I guess, what are you thinking as far as prospects for this movie going forward? I, yeah, I
1: think, uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's pretty much a lock for International, um, given that it also has a Best Picture nom, which none of the other yep. uh, nominations do. Um, so, that seems like a pretty surefire bet. I don't think this has a... I mean, I don't know. Coda won last year. Anything can yeah, win. Yeah,
0: it, it didn't get a director's nomination, which yeah. seems like it would be... If it did, I would feel a lot better about its chances. Um, at the BAFTAs, it got in in director instead of Spielberg. Um, Here Spielberg That's got in. That's interesting. It is, yeah. I, I mean, the, we can have a whole discussion during our Oscars predictions, but The Fableman seems to have fallen off considerably in the last few months. Um, in
1: favor of Babylon baby let's <laughs> go.
0: Babylon hive rise up, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that I think this movie has much of a chance outside of international. Um, um there, I, there's, some I mean, it's, it's in, in, it's
1: yeah. Ty- yeah. I think it's in almost every technical category, yeah. uh, production design, cinematography, editing, sound, and it's got a good shot at all of those. I think I you know any 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 uh more film that makes it this far in in terms of like the nominations always has a good shot.
0: Yep. Yeah, I I just uh it'll be interesting to see. I, again, I anyone that enjoys this movie, I would implore to watch uh the 1940 edition. Uh, I know black and white film like old Hollywood and all that can be a little off-putting for some people but like you know it's very much worth your time uh very much one of my favorite movies of all time uh and i would implore you to watch it as well zach like i think i think you'd really enjoy it it's
1: on the list for sure
0: so any other uh all quiet thoughts we were gonna maybe do the whale but i think maybe let's save that for next week
1: yeah absolutely um i think uh you know this this is an excellent film i i absolutely uh support your your encouragement of like anyone to watch this um this is a good movie and to explore the original which i absolutely intend to do um i think that that uh as far as as far as um anti-war goes this is this is among among the best
0: yeah i think uh one of the things you brought up earlier is something that kind of sticks with me. Uh, the idea that like the version that I connect to exists in the world and that this new version on Netflix is accessible to more people. It is more uh, viewer friendly in, in terms of like modern audiences and that sort of thing. And to bring the ideas of the book All Quiet on the, Wire, uh, on the Western Front Uh, as this, like, anti-war piece of material, like, insisting that war is, uh, like we've said a number of times, like a great folly, I do think that any iteration of it that is successful and connects to people and finds its audience is a good thing because, you know, we don't ever want to go back to that place that we were that, like, created the necessity for these films in the first place. So uh, as much as this version of it didn't work perfectly for me like i do think it is of great value that this movie exists that this movie even got nominated for best picture which should only increase its reach um so for that i think we should all be grateful here here All right, Zach, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Spinning the Real. Um, We may or may not, during the recording of that episode, have gotten confirmation of Cody uh, giving his Oscar picks. He says he's picking all the winners. So (laughs) (laughs) that'll be interesting. Uh, Where can people find you?
1: Uh, I am on Letterboxd at painted underscore dog. Um, It's where I log all the movies I watched. You can see my reviews for the shorts that we went over earlier um and anything really that i've I've been watching i've been kind of uh on a 90s kick right now but um definitely
0: robert rodriguez movie in there
1: yeah wait which one was that uh Uh, the faculty i think yeah yes the one yeah 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 yeah.
0: yes the faculty not Elita battle angel which is gonna really kind of you know upset (laughs) people but (laughs) yeah you can find me at evan d26 on letterboxd but more importantly zach where can people find us the podcast uh,
1: you can find all spinning the real content at spinning the R E L dot com. um that is where evan hosts his wonderful reviews uh links to all of our episodes um check them out
0: yeah and then of course uh you're listening to this podcast so just keep doing that and uh if you feel so moved please leave a review and a rating uh it helps people find us so with that zach any last words
1: bye on it.